but then you look back <laughs> to where you were like three six months ago like oh, we've actually come a really long way yeah and i think unless you have that perspective of data to look back on you don't really know where you're at and i think you mentioned it too earlier one of the biggest issues i see in particular with online coaches is that they get very lonely and stuck in or their own personal competing pushes their coaching largely and it, it's what allows our coaching to continue to grow. And there might be an aspect of that for some people, especially the people that are more athletes than coaches. But what I, I do believe is that there's a stepwise sequence within that journey. And, and the way that I break this down is, we've talked about this, like you're going to hit dark places at some point. But in reality, it's like if you continue to foster those relationships, whether it be the mentor to mentee ones or the people you're mentoring or your peers, the amount that everyone in that group will scale will just start to become this circle of impact where it, it, it leads to everybody growing. People around you will see your work ethic because mm. that's a really important thing. Because if you're the leader of your business, whether it's your virtual assistants, sales team, other coaches, whatever, like if they see you're always pushing and like setting a quick pace, they're going to try and keep up with you. But if you're really slow to execute things, like they're going to be slow as well because you set the standard from the top. Welcome to today's episode of the podcast today. I've got the absolute pleasure of having a great friend and my own personal coach with me today. And today we're going to discuss how to build a seven-figure business in bodybuilding. Now, one of the things I was saying to Luke before the podcast, there's a huge misconception that you can't be an amazing bodybuilding coach and also be financially successful, that the two are frictionate against each other. So today we're going to break that uh, misbelief and talk about Luke's journey and how he's achieved what he has and some of the amazing things he's doing with uh, J3 University as well. So thank you for your time, Luke. Yeah, of course, man. This is a, it's an important topic. I think we in bodybuilding disassociate financial success and success in bodybuilding because just strictly the bodybuilding pursuit doesn't pay us a lot. It's a, it's a pursuit of passion more than it is anything else. And we have to remember that we have to pay our bills and, and do everything and, and, and be successful in our own right. And you have to find your journey and your path through that. And uh, if sharing my journey and kind of what I found along the way to getting there ha can help other people, that's that's what I'm here to do, right? Is like help others expand that impact and, and grow. So I'm excited for today's conversation. I think it'll be very valuable. 100%. One of the things I think, uh, first and foremost, you really lead by example in terms of the results you get your clients. Mm -hmm. Now, I think one of the areas I see a lot of people really not focusing on enough is actually getting their clients results because for me fitness is really logical is that like if you get really good client results and for example in bodybuilding they win all their shows and get pro cards yeah guess what you get a lot more clients really quickly right? and <laughs> yeah. imagine that's what happened to you yeah that is i think uh there's a large association in our realm of their own personal competing is largely dependent upon or their own personal competing pushes their coaching largely and it, it's what allows their coaching to continue to grow and there might be an aspect of that for some people, especially the people that are more athletes than coaches. But what I, I do believe is that there's a stepwise sequence within that journey. And, and the way that I break this down is you can create the customer journey through your own journey. And you're almost creating that hero story. Like, what's the villain in a bodybuilder's process? You're showing your villains through your process and how you've overcome those. And so that's kind of like the first step into potentially building something for yourself and showing that you have some sort of experience or authority in this realm. Now, that gets you from like starting with nothing to like the first couple years of making something that's like close to an income within uh, coaching or, or whatever that venture is, right? But there has to be a progression, right, where that personal journey 
steps us forward to be in a position of leverage, which I think we'll talk a lot about today, to now produce the results with the clients you're working with, to now leverage that into the results driving the business on the back end. Because once you get to scale, that's going to be so much more important than whatever you're doing from an athlete perspective. And so like if you start to walk through people's journeys and a lot of the people who have done this well, that's what most people go through is like they get into a bodybuilding for themselves. That journey leads them to a lot of experiences that teach them a lot. Potentially they've mentored under a coach. They start their own thing. They're sharing their personal journey as like the initial marketing for their coaching. They get to a level where they have 30, 45 clients and then they can start to build some leverage off the back end of that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's the the transition point that people don't do well. I think that's why you see so many people getting stuck. I agree with that 100% because for me, I don't know if you see the same thing in the industry, most people get stuck between 30 to 50 clients mm-hmm. and they can't break that bottleneck. And I think this is an important thing for people to understand is that like, for you to get to the next level, you have to do different things. And mm-hmm. you're going to get to that point where you need like a, an inflection point, which is when you have like the one thing that changes everything and that comes down to creating leverages in, in terms of like building systems in terms of tech stuff where it's improving your check-in processes whether it's building hiring staff and building teams and I think that's where most people go wrong and also they're too afraid to be like expansive with their mindset in terms of like spending money to make money back if that makes sense yeah and I think there's a point where there's multiple points where you realize this but there's a point within that transition that inflection point that you realize Things you can do to provide the same quality service but save you time is like the key to unlocking the next door. And so once you learn that, you're always just looking for that next thing that allows you to provide that same level or higher level of service while saving you time. Whether that's offloading work onto like a a VA or people who can do the tech stuff better than you can and they can handle that. Like we talked off camera about like, I don't set any of this up. Like that's all someone else's job. So uh, you learn that thing, but the inflection point that you see people get stuck at is learning that they can have a system created by someone else or, or, or taken off of someone else by paying for these people to come in and look at their business and, and see where the loopholes are in order to leverage your time so that you can take that next step through the door. Because When we talk about that, you start getting client results. That's going to open the crack of that door of like higher leads per week and being able to to do that well uh, as far as like converting into clients means you have to have time to convert those people into clients as that rate of client coming through the door increases. The only way you do that is better systems. And so this is where a lot of people get stuck because even if they start building leverage and momentum, they get to like... 55 and then 60 and then the client rate starts picking up and you get them to 80 and like they're like I can't even do a sales consult because I'm so busy doing check-ins and it's simply from their system doesn't allow them to move the needle forward and I think that's so important to understand because when when you when you take the first step of detaching from your personal process your coaching what you're doing from there is you're learning how to optimize and it's literally just a forever, forever journey of optimization. And I've got some pretty good stories like throughout my journey of like pulling my hair out because I was doing so much work on my own that it just led me to going the opposite direction of offloading as much as I could. Uh, and it's, it's, it's pretty funny. It's just, 
I, I couldn't agree more. And one of the things I say to a lot of people is like, oh, you're really hardworking. I was like, I'm actually inherently really lazy. So like, I try and find the most efficient way to do something. So like, okay, like, where do we want to go with this? Okay, we want to go here. How can I go there as like straight line as possible? Mm-hmm. So it's always for me, it's like, how can I find the most efficient way to do something or hire and train someone else to do it so then I don't have to do it. And then their time's less valuable than mine and therefore I can get my time back. Because what most people try and protect is money, but what they need to actually do is protect their time because that's the most valuable resource you have mm-hmm. and you can't get it back. You can always make more money, you can exponentially make more money, but no one on the planet can make more time. And the more you think about that process, I think the faster your business will grow, in particular with um, repeatable tasks. And I'll give a really good example that if anyone doesn't do this with a business already, like you should do it and you should be really aggressive with understanding the finances of your business. I would go through every Stripe account I had, every PayPal account, um, no, every payment that came in every single day. And I'd go through all of these. It'd take me like 15, 20 minutes every single day, like total ups, I'd work out, total money generated month to date, what average daily income was and like what a projection would be the month end mm-hmm. so i was doing this myself really taking like 15 20 minutes and one of like my CEO at the time said to me he's like why are you doing this it's like oh i like you know i like looking at like the payments and transactions like seeing what's going on it's like why don't you just get a va to do it and just do a loom video and i was like <laughs> like so i was like okay i had to let it go and then do it but that saved me like 20 minutes for the last three years so yeah. you think about the compound effect of how much time i have back from that yeah. is retarded and it's- i think this is sometimes you just need to like have some of the outside be like, yeah, you shouldn't do that anymore. Yeah. And I didn't layer this on top, but I think this is important to understand is that there's also knowledge set glass ceilings throughout that process where you can only take yourself so far with the knowledge set that you have at step A, B, C in the process. And it requires this leveling up process throughout, which is, you know, for me, my, my education journey kind of throughout bodybuilding was, I've had really good mentors kind of through my journey, luckily, like, and it's been, it's been really helpful in my development. Um, the guy who initially got me into bodybuilding, Christian, just took me under his wing, taught me a lot of like that initial understanding of bodybuilding and running peaks. He took me to national shows with him so that I could learn that peaking process of the athletes he was working with. And then when I, when I started working with John, it kind of became the same thing. John and I became like a more of a, a mentor mentee relationship. And um, I was like paying him for calls and we were doing weekly calls. And then it, it eventually developed into us working together on the same end goal with J3 university and everything. But that process of learning happened for me because there wasn't the resources that there are now. And like the resources that we did have then, like I tried to buy everything. Like, I don't know if you remember, but Ben Pikulski at the time yeah, yeah. had these, uh, these binders of discs and you would pay for it. And in the mail, you would get this massive thick uh, binder. Hypertrophy max program. Yeah. Like the hypertrophy yeah, yeah. max thing. And I remember I used to carry that thing everywhere with me. Like it was, it was glued to my side, but I thought it was like the key to me from a knowledge set perspective moving forward. And in reality, it wasn't right. But when you learn that learning is a lot of times what unlocks that door alongside the systems, you now learn to let go of some of that money you're making in order to invest in your skill set because skill set can really limit how far you take this coaching realm, um, especially in the realm of bodybuilding because there's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of things happening and there's a lot of risks that are taken within bodybuilding that require you to manage this well for a client to not put them in harm's way. So I kind of overlay that systems approach with the, the knowledge set where – 
I talk systems first because it buys you back the time and then buying you back the time allows you to invest in yourself and the skill set development that you need so that you can put that time into developing yourself as a coach. Um, that leads me to one of my favorite sayings. It's like life is game of skill acquisition. Mm. And what you don't want to be is the monkey pressing the buttons, doing the check-ins constantly, like repetitive tasks, repetitive tasks. When if you had three hours a day just to learn to be better at what you do, how good would you be in a year's time? And like, People say to me, like, how can you do all this stuff? Well, I was like, I learned. I spent, like, you could learn anything within 15, 20 hours, like, whether it's running Facebook ads, email marketing. Like, you pick up skills pretty quickly if you mm-hmm. actually sit down and devote the time to do it. And people are like, oh, I can't do that. It was like, have you actually tried to learn to do it yet? Or have you paid someone to teach you to do it, if that makes sense? Yeah, and you, you get to a point where your learning becomes self-guided. Like, for me, I learn more when I develop a course than when I do anything else. And the reason I learn more when I develop a course than doing anything else is because I'm putting away so much time to dive extremely deep into a topic because I I love this. It's like the person who can take a very complex topic and boil it down to a way that people can understand and utilize it shows that that person actually has some sort of understanding or mastery within that topic or skill set. In order to develop those courses that we have on J3 University, like you can't put that course out in a way that actually helps people unless you're able to take the super complex and put it in an applicable way within the course. And so we've done that with like the female module and the AHO and level one and that skill set and that process of like course development for me has now become where I, I typically learn the most from surrounding myself with other people as well that have experiences outside of my realm is kind of where asking good questions when I'm in those situations is, is extremely important. And, and you ask really good questions as well. So like you would understand that dynamic, but it's a development over time. Like the early portions of that, that phase is investing in yourself through others by taking people's courses and stuff. And then you get to a point where teaching others actually teaches you more than what you're teaching them. I couldn't agree more. And I also don't know if you find, I find a lot of business. I, think of things and I'm talking to people and explaining things that they should do in their own business. I'm like, this is really smart. <laughs> why am I not yeah, doing yeah, this? I, I, think some, I think of something that I haven't thought about for myself. I'm like, and this is why sometimes there's so much value. And I think one of the important things that everyone needs, and it doesn't matter what level you are, I think still, uh, this is still applicable, is like you should always have a mentor, you should always have peers, and you should mm. have mentees. So there's always someone you're ahead of who you can probably help, and you'll learn in that process. You need to have other people in terms of peers, whether in j3 university whether in our coaching programs mm. and you should always have a mental helping you and when you have that it's almost like a three-dimensional mental approach in terms of learning because you're like learning from the top you're learning from other people in your same level and then you're also like teaching down mm-hmm. whether that be to coaches under you or whoever it might be yeah i think it's it's really important and i've learned that uh have you ever heard the saying like the the five people you taught the most to or the most influential people that like have it or, or impact you on yeah, the day-to-day so we live in a weird world and the five closest people to me outside of my wife do not live here. Like they, they just don't. And so it's all technological conversations and that can kind of lose, lose the personal nature of it. If you're not careful where this journey can feel kind of lonely sometimes, um, extremely lonely when you're developing your own business and trying to set out on this journey of skill acquisition and and system development and you can like end up pulling your hairs out and just like we've talked about this like you're gonna hit dark places at some point but in reality it's like if you continue to foster those relationships 
whether it be the mentor to mentee ones or the people you are mentoring or your peers, the amount that everyone in that group will scale will just start to become this circle of impact where it, it, it leads to everybody growing. Now, the hard part for people to bring it back to where most people probably listening are in this podcast is like they're in that 30 to I'd say all the way up to 75, 80 clients is kind of where that person is. Is the hard part about that is sometimes getting plugged into that system is hard to connect with people because um, there's a lot of people in this industry who don't do it well. And then that can drag you down if you're attached to those people who don't do it well. 100%. I will say people have a huge resistance to change. Yeah. M- myself included and also like my team, for example. So I'll give an example. Uh, I think I might say this to you before. It's like we brought in Slack, which is like a communication messaging tool for business instead of using whatsapp and i was like what the fuck is this like not using this i want to use it and then two weeks later everyone's like this is the best thing ever yeah but then i still have the same thing now we have like huge data tracking spreadsheets that are being built and i'm like, I don't like this. I hate this. I hate this. <laughs> and i'm just like just don't say anything just just deal with it yeah but i know in probably two three weeks time i'll be like this is awesome yeah but like inherently we don't like change we don't like new software systems um and this is where sometimes i look back on life experience of when i used to run a branch of estate agents i remember them changing the entire company software system and everyone had absolute kittens about it. But then like a month later, everyone's like, this is so much better. Yeah, but you have people that do it. Like, God love Mark. Oh my God, Mark Fox, if you're listening to this, you're a savior. Because like, me and John like hearing that stuff, like uh, performance metrics. Like, how are we doing? Is the ads that we're doing doing well? Or whatever it is. Like, whatever the critical drivers that are driving our, our key performance outcomes. Are we doing what we need to do to drive that key performance outcome that we want to see? And Mark just manages it so well for us. It's like, I don't even have to think about it. I just got to do the, do the critical drivers and then see if it's working. And then if not, just change those critical drivers so that we drive the outcome better. And it's like that feedback system of like having those complicated spreadsheets and having those data things that are like, when you're at 30 to 50 clients, you don't even think about tracking KPIs. But as you go higher, um, that's another overlaid aspect of systems that I think is under undervalued is... When you have KPIs tracked, even at like 50 clients, you can start to learn where your mistakes are. And I try to separate people's into pre-purchase systems. So anything that would fall under like people coming across your business, that would be pre-purchase. Purchase system being anything that's evolved around the sales consult. So that'd be like initial communications, anything about the actual consult call. And then post-purchase systems, which would be your coaching systems and how well you coach. And it may feel useless to track it at 50 clients because it's like not, you're going to get a lot of zeros and you're going to get a lot of weeks that you don't really move forward in those metrics, but it'll give you a lot of insight in eight, nine, 10 months time of like, have you progressed in these areas? And that's stuff now that like we track so heavily, but I don't really even have to look at it because it's being done. I think what's important with that is similar to the bodybuilding aspect is like, we will have times where like, I feel about like this bit, bit like that this week with our businesses, like, you shit this is not going well I'm not happy with this and yeah. like but then you look back <laughs> to where you were like three six months ago like oh, we've actually come a really long way yeah and I think unless you have that perspective of data to look back on you don't really know where you're at and I think you mentioned too earlier one of the biggest issues I see in particular with online coaches is that they get very lonely and stuck in their own head mm. because you're working your own in like an office like this you have no one else to talk to you, you've got problems you're like who do I share this with and that's why the importance I think of having like peers and mentors like we said earlier is like it gives you a stream to be like, is this normal? Or like a second opinion on sometimes yeah. to give you that reassurance you need. 
I, uh, this is going to be, I'm not trying to flip the interview, but a question for you is like, do you see value in finding office spaces outside of the home to try to combat that? Um, ironically, we said before this podcast, I get bored and have to move my office around. Yeah. So I, the other thing I also do is I sometimes like, I bounce around to like random coffee places because I find yeah. if I just sit there for God, three, four it's hours. so nice. <laughs> I just zone out. Um, so I think there's a lot of value in change of scenery. And the other thing I've noticed personally is that I get bored very easily. I like routine, but I get bored. So if I spend eight to 12 weeks in the same place, yeah. I start to get frustrated. So I find for me, I have to move around a bit and like a change of scenery really stimulates me. So I'd say for a lot of people, yes. And one of the things I say is important is that um, try not to work in an environment where you spend for like socializing or like your living room or anything like that. So mm-hmm. um, when I lived in the UK, my previous relationship, I had, I built this whole business in like this shitty little shed in my garden uh, which I'll share a video of one day. I had a six screen, it was pretty cool. But like <laughs> in the winter, there was no heating. And in the summer, it was like 35 degrees Celsius and it was awful. Um, but they were like the nostalgia good old days. And then, but the important thing of that is it's like, I knew when I went down there, it was like this fucking time to grind. Like I go down there at like 5 a.m. And I like, hoodie, you know, like hat, like literally a really hat because it was so cold. And I'm, like, I nearly had gloves on. I had like slippers and stuff because it was so cold. But that's like, I think the importance of sometimes having separate areas for work because it allows you to yeah. be a lot more focused because the biggest issue I see with most people is that like they have the time, but they lack the focus mm. and they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. So like one of the things you said earlier was um, the key drivers that grow the business. So the way I explain it to people is like, what are the outputs that create the inputs, whether it be posting content, mm. messaging people, like asking clients for referrals. Like, do you do that? Like those type of things. Yeah. I, uh, I used to be really good at separating tasks to certain areas. So like, if I had to do X type of work, I would go to Starbucks. Or if I had to do X type of work, I go to my office. Or if I had to do like, because for me, the the hard thing for me and for people who want to coach a lot of times is separating um, the task work, like the coaching check ins, that kind of stuff, and the creative work, which is like the content production, and then the admin work. Reality is like you should get to a point where you're not really doing any admin work. Because uh, that should be all offloaded, but then you're doing a lot more creative work because you're now becoming a vision setter, right? Of like, where do you want this to go? And that requires a lot of creativity. Um, I I really enjoy um, from a creative standpoint of like putting myself in a public environment because the public environment for me uh, gives me ideas when I'm like like just out and about with people, and so you learn these things like what is it that makes you tick and uh, a book that I found really helpful in, in regards to like learning those things that make you tick is atomic habits Great book. because in order to learn, you have to do it well. And if you don't do it well, you're never going to learn what actually allows you to, to output at your highest capacity. And honestly, um, even with the learning side, like I see so many people pay for a course and then they half ass the course and they don't actually use what they paid the course for. And I'm like, why did you even pay for the course in the first place? Like, J3 University, like, the stuff that we've built there, like, the female module, it took me 10 months to build that motherfucker. And I had help. It was me and John, like, making it together. And I've seen people take it and then go and coach females and not use, like, half of what we put in there. Like, what are you doing? Like, it's, it's all there. I'm smiling and laughing because I know what the statistics are on this generally. But what's do you know? Do you have the data in terms of how many people buy it and how many people actually complete it? Not not off the top of my head. That's a mark question. That's not a me question. That would be an interesting thing to, to to find out. So I know, for example, most people buy online courses and memberships. I think only about ten percent of people actually like log in and use it. That's wild to me. 
because people like the dopamine hit of like signing up, I'm done. But the reality is people need to understand that it's not like information is worthless unless it's applied, right? So it's like you actually need to like apply things to, to your business and coaching clients mm. to get better results rather than just signing up and burning money and time. What I found too is like information applied looks different in person than it does in, in the course or the textbook or whatever that looks like. And so there needs to be some connection points of whatever your realm is. Say it's not bodybuilding, right? There are trends. Like you're going to see the same client multiple times over a period of time. You get to a point where you get an intake form, you know what's going to happen. Like, but you're not going to know those trends if you don't get in there and actually use what you're trying to learn. And that's where it's like I can teach on these trends all day, but until someone learns to identify them by using these tools – then it's not going to matter. And so there's almost like a, a prerequisite of either experience coming into the course to get the value of the course that you need, or there needs to be a prerequisite of willing to put in the work in order to gain the outcomes of the course that would actually be there. And I think that's why a lot of what we're doing now is moving into the application side with kind of the developments of the next step of the business and kind of with um, some of the coaching aspects that are going to be integrated is making sure people take it from the theoretical or the ethereal and putting it into practice. Of If you're going to represent what we are as J3 University by saying you've taken the courses or, or whatever, you need to now take it and use it the way that we meant it to be used. What would you say is the biggest inflection point of like change your business or the biggest thing you've had the biggest impact on you developing the business to where it is? Um, I told you this the other day. Um, it's never been work ethic for me. It's never been intellect for me. I've always been, from a, a knowledge perspective, really good at acclimating information and using it. It was my relationship with money, um, which I think is one we haven't brought up that I think is a struggle for a lot of people as well, within, especially within bodybuilding. Um, paying money to make more money is a concept that people don't understand because they just see the outflow, right? Because the inflow... You don't see for one, two, three, four months down the road. Or even sometimes like five, ten years. Or even five, ten years, right? So it's like learning that, and you mentioned this on our podcast, like when we talked earlier this week of if you have profit margins over 70%, you're probably not spending enough money to push your business in the direction it needs to go, right? So that's been a, a large thing for me in regards to like when I – have my person who does all of my books set aside money in, in the accounts for profit and for assets and for investments and then, you know, personnel pay. Like that assets portion being a big enough portion where I can actually invest back into the business so that I can take that next step in scaling. That was, for me, the biggest light bulb. It's like, it's okay to spend money because spending money, if you spend it on the right things, you're going to do two things. You're either going to grow or you're going to learn. You're never going to make that mistake again, or you're going to massively succeed from what you did. So um, it's calculated risks, but I love uh, quarterly meetings. And quarterly meetings with myself is what I'm referring to with this, is um, sitting down, looking at the vision again, asking ourselves where we're at, and asking myself where I'm at, and, and comparing it to where I want it to go, and then looking at the holes and then putting money into those places of the holes. And so... I constantly do that once a quarter and just like, I don't get to do it in front of a whiteboard anymore because I don't have a whiteboard because my wife won't let me keep one. But I do it in front of a computer screen now and just like put it all out on a mind map and, and look at it. 
it's funny because this is one of the things I realize is I'm intelligent and I'm very good at coaching other people in the business. And I was like, yeah. now I actually like plan and sit down. I actually coach myself. So like what would myself as a coach do? Like literally I write questions. Like what do I believe to be true that isn't? What is, um, what do I believe to be true that isn't? Like what's the number one thing in the business that's really going to like move the needle with it? And when you start to break it down, I literally will write like the question and I write like the answers, like my coaching response, what I would say, in, like different colors. Yeah. So then I can read it and as I have notes and I say that and then um, from that, you'll then understand, okay, what's the bottleneck of like, who's the person you need to find to fix the how mm-hmm. and like whatever the issue is. And to give an example in terms of like investing into a business, I spent $50,000 the last three months on some sales process and stuff. We probably made four times that back because of... And it's like a lot of money, but I was like, Meh. like, yeah. It, and the way it was pitched to me, it was structured that it will pay itself off. And when you start to think like that, you're like, this is a no brainer. I think it's important you revisit though, because there's also a bottom end of that profit mm. margin where you're putting too much money into things and it's time to let go of, of, of things you've done. Oh, 100%. Um, and this is where revisiting is huge. Um, I've, I've put money into things for the business that just didn't pan out. And I've had to had those tough conversations with those things that I've invested in or those people I've invested in, like, hey, like, you're just not doing what I need you to do. And that's okay. Like, you, you, we may come back and find that there's a need for that later. But for right now, there's not. And that's where those quarterly meetings for me provide a lot of solace. So you can, you can always tell when I have the quarterly meeting because, like, the week after, I always have so much, like, reinvigorated energy because I have direction of like, okay, we are doing the right things. Like we're moving in the right direction. So I don't even think people think that at the, at the 40 to, to 60 client level, right? They don't even have visions or what they want to happen. The head. So in the game of like doing, doing rather than thinking. And then an expression I like is like rich people don't work. They think, and like someone said that to me, I was like, I get that now. So, okay, cool. So yeah. it's like, if you literally just like slow down and sat there for like 30 minutes and like no phone, no other bullshit, no Instagram or like what's really holding you back right now? Like if you had to coach yourself when you were looking at yourself from like third person view, like what's the problem? You'd probably be able to work out really what that issue is. Yeah. You know your business better than anyone. I, I like, I do this with my schedules. I have days of doing and I have days of thinking and it just helps me differentiate it. Like I wake up, I know what has to happen. And honestly, my morning routine changes according to what kind of day that is. So like Wednesday is a prime example for me. Wednesdays are a day where I wake up, we have our team meeting for J3 University. Like, what is that going to look like moving forward with some of the stuff we have in development for J3U? And then it's a day of admin work. And and when I call admin work is like, for me, creative work is uh, content production, what needs to get done for ads, what needs to get done for the next courses we're releasing or, or whatever, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's also a time for me to think about like, where does the direction of what we're doing head, um, and, and, and invested into that. And then like Monday, Tuesdays and Thursdays are like heavy doers. So like check-ins and most of my clients check-ins on those days. So for me, it's, it's a separation of that allows me to do that because you'll find the further you get along, the less doing days you need and the more thinking days you need. And so, it's it's funny how you like get into it. You always want to do more and do more and do more, and then you get to this point where you're like sick of doing. You're like, okay, I probably should think about this a little bit. <laughs> and you start realizing that the path forward is more thinking, less doing, and it's it kind of comes back to full circle. Well, it's because at that point you have leverage. I think 
that's an important thing for people to understand. A good question for you that I see is a big misconception, actually, I think I mentioned this at dinner last night, is that so many people come into bodybuilding thinking competing is going to be like, it's mm. going to be a, like a pile of gold at the end of the rainbow, that they've done glorified. a show and that like it's, it's super glorified. Um, and I sometimes have very blunt conversations with people like, obviously like I like doing this shit too and I like competing and respectfully it's a waste of time and cost me more money than it makes um, <laughs> in time but it's fun and I like doing it um, but the reality is I try to have very brutal conversations with people sometimes like yeah I appreciate you want to do this but you also need to provide for your family and be a responsible adult um, what would your advice be to those people not to crush people's dreams <sighs> there's very few people who make money strictly bodybuilding and even those people who make money strictly bodybuilding, they're only doing it so that they build leverage to build something else that will make the money off the back end of competing. Because competing is not forever. Um, and and for most people, <clears throat> actually, what you find is the people that make the most money in bodybuilding and fitness are the people who actually have something outside of their own personal bodybuilding that's successful, whether it's coaching or educating or business development or whatever it may be, like, and I've, I've seen that there's even, what's the guy from Fit Pro Financial? What's his name? Not sure. Out of the UK. It's like he's killing it, but it's because he has this skill set in like helping people with their taxes and, and financial aspects that's like uh, an, a value add to these people that he can now provide that's outside of whatever his bodybuilding powerlifting journey looks like. I'm not too, too, too versed in what he does, but. Um, but he's killing it because he provides value to those people. And so you need to find out how you can provide value and double down on that and just build in the time for the bodybuilding and make it automated where it just happens because bodybuilding in reality is the same stuff every day. And if you can just pay for your meals to be prepped and just eat the same meals every day and then just show up to the gym at the same time and do your work, like you're going to be sufficient enough to be able to do what you need on that front as well. The one thing I will say, and you pointed this out, is bodybuilding costs you more money and it costs you more time than it actually brings you back. I would argue it doesn't because you're doing something you enjoy, right? And you need to have that thing that you enjoy in order to be fully present when you're working. Um, this is something that I, I'm a, I'm a workaholic, so I, I really enjoy working. Um, converted. Yeah, so like I... But what happens is, is when I, when I don't do something that I enjoy, whether that's the pursuit of, it was a pursuit of bodybuilding for a long time. It's no longer that, but, um, that thing that I enjoy, I become a curmudgeon. Like I'm shit around my family. I'm, I'm shit to the people that I work with. I don't put out as good of a product as I'm, I'm capable of putting. And it's simply because I just didn't take that step back to do what it is that I enjoy. And so there's a balance. You shouldn't like take over your full week doing it, but I think it's an important aspect of pushing the business forward that, um, and it was actually a conversation with Corby at, in Vegas that made me realize that that's what happens. And it's improved my, my relationship with work where it's like, okay, I can be a workaholic, but let's be an efficient workaholic where I can still do the things I enjoy and be present for the people that need me. Because especially for those of you that have families, like they say happy wife, happy life. Right. But like, that happy wife, happy life concept applies to your business partners. It applies to the clients that you work with. It applies to your family. Like all those start to go to, to crap and you're not going to be as successful as you could possibly be. So I think it's important. I think you need to set aside time to, to do that stuff because it allows you to be present. And Because think of it this way. 
how many times have you like been at work and you can't stop thinking about the session for the day because maybe you didn't get to train in the last couple of days because of travel or, or whatever it may be. You just can't wait to get to the gym. And then you just say F it and you just go to the gym and then you come back and you can do the work. Right. It's like that kind of stuff that that's important to understand. I also think I would say you're hundred percent correct. I would say the issue I find sometimes from a business perspective is that things aren't business is never like linear growth. right? No. So like I get super frustrated what's the one thing that you can control? Like your training, nutrition, what you're doing. And it's, that for me is another field where it's like some diversification. I think something that's very important is that you're not a one-trick pony that this is all you do and you have all your eggs in one basket and you have some diversification in terms of who you are. And if you are a coach as well, it's obviously important that you're true to your values and you have to be in good shape and live the lifestyle I think is really congruent with your yeah, brand. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah, and I think, I think that's where... Sometimes people in the bodybuilding space, there's an expectation from the early crowd, like of, I have to compete in order to do this coaching thing. And I would say, yes, you need to compete a few times in order to do this well. But there comes a point, like if you look at all the top coaches, like who are the best people in this industry at coaching? None of them still compete, right? They've had their time. They've gone through their journey of learning and their experience, and now they fully invested into the coaching aspect. And for me, that's where it's like you're from a skill set perspective, we were always developing that in the background. It was just one of the mediums in which we developed that was our own personal journey and learning by our own mistakes, right? So um, it's important. I think you you represent your brand everywhere you go. Like I'm, I always tell people I'm always working, right? You, I might not be. I might be playing golf or I might be at the gym or I might be whatever. But it's like in the gyms, the best example is like, I might be there training for myself, but I get stopped a lot when I'm at gyms. People also watch what you're doing. And they watch what I'm doing. Right. So like, I'm always a representation of, of who I am in my business and everything like that. And so you have to remember that. And especially like in settings where people know you, like if I walk into a gym, I'm in like full work mode. Like, people think that's relaxing for me, but in reality, I'm in, like, okay, who's here, and and who's going to stop me, and who am I going to talk to, and how do I help that person where they see value in what we're doing and continue to follow what we're doing, right? So, um, it's it's something that people don't realize. It's like, you're always working. I also think first impressions are huge, right? So, someone, for example, that's might have followed you on social media, and then they see you the first time, and if you're having a bad day and you come across a bit short, you think, oh, what fucking dick, like... And, and that's um, not that I'm a dick, but sometimes I have to catch myself in terms of like, if whatever problems you have are yours, like if you're meeting people for the first time, like they don't know the context of what's going on. So it's like always try and be the best person you can be when you meet new people, mm. not to be fake, but because that's what you deserve to do for them. Yeah, I think uh, there's also an aspect of that too is when you're in that early phase, like if you're having bad days, it doesn't affect other people much because you can let it like over, over, uh, overcome you a bit. And like, you don't have business partners. You don't have people who work for you yet, really. So you get away with letting that kind of slide. Um, you know, maybe your significant other notices and it negatively affects them, but that, that net impact is a lot smaller. You get to where we are now or where you're at. It's like your touch points with how many people you have that affect what you do so much higher. Um, which is where I think bodybuilders struggle. Um, 
and it's why most bodybuilders struggle to be business owners is it's a very emotionally charged sport. You overlay the PD side of the equation. It kind of further amplifies that emotionally charged state. You overlay contest prep and the back end of prepping. It further amplifies that emotionally charged state and, and people kind of lose the plot a bit. And so um, I think that's where hyper objectivity is like the best skill you can learn. And it's why like I always preach stoicism to people who are in the bodybuilding realm because I know they're so far removed from any stoic-based value that just even a little would help them with managing that emotional state, right? And so uh, that, that's been huge for me because bodybuilding was a very emotionally charged endeavor. And like as I've become first the athlete, then the business owner, then the business owner who is now scaling and, and that kind of stuff, the more that development of stoicism has had to come up where like, you can't let things bother you. It's just like control what you can control and move forward. hundred percent. Cause I think the, the words of like equanimity where like people like you're always a steady state and people know like what to expect when you turn up. And I remember my previous career working with certain people and you never know like how you're going to catch them. They're going to be fucking off the rocker, like pissed about something mm -hmm. or like, and you, people need to know. So then like if you're running a business for anyone listening to this, it's important that people can actually approach you if there's a problem, because that's a big issue I see is where people, sometimes don't feel they can approach you and say certain things. Mm. And then the problem that needs to be dealt with doesn't get dealt with until three months later. And it's a much bigger issue to deal with then. It's one of the most toxic environments to have within a business structure, mm. not being able to approach someone within your business setup. And I think that's where, like for those of you who know who J3 University is, like John and Mark are like the two that I am, you know, am in contact with all the time. And that's one of the beautiful things about that that work dynamic is the three of us can say anything to either one of us at any time. And it's going to be received in a way that's seen with the vision of the company moving forward. Right. So it's really cool to be in a situation where everyone handles themselves, but that drips down too, right? Like the people that are doing other tasks for us, like you start to see them learning to be able to handle themselves that way and take feedback well and, and learn that it's for the betterment of themselves and, um, it's a development process, but I think it's, uh, I think if you go, and, and this is specifically for the people in the bodybuilding realm, if you go through the journey of competing, like doing it multiple times is very valuable because your first few were like, what did I just do? Why did I sign up for this? This is, this sucks. This sucks. <laughs> like it's extremely hard and it comes with a pretty high emotional state, right? If you continue past that point, the lessons learned from trials and tribulations within that process and learning to not react to it translates so well into business later in life and and learning to be able to manage things in like a, a firestorm right it's funny you say that because i i say this often that the best gift bodybuilding gave me was that when you're completely fucked towards the end of it like dying on death's door and you're still functioning and running a business afterwards you go back to normal life this is so easy <laughs> like, this is a breeze like, yeah. i do this all day long like yeah and that's a reality like, i always like to, to push the envelope in terms of like how far can you go with things? And I look back when I competed last year, I could, like, couldn't have like, insomnia, I couldn't sleep, was sleeping like three, four hours a night. And yeah. so we'd get up and start work at 3am and people are like, this guy's nuts. Yeah. Um, and I think when you can push yourself to that level and you get used to it, then when you go back to normal life, it's like, this is easy. And that's when you get to the point it's easy, it's then easy to then control the business and also the people around you will see your work ethic because mm. that's a really important thing. Because if you're the leader of your business, whether it's your virtual assistant's, sales team other coaches whatever 
like if they see you're always pushing and like setting a quick pace they're going to try and keep up with you but if you're really slow to execute things like they're going to be slow as well because you set the standard from the top yeah i would 100 percent agree i think sidebar for for those of you having children too there is a couple month time span right after having a kid where it's a very similar situation you learn to operate on very little sleep and uh, just become functional with very very minimal one question for you what would you say i'd say one of the big issues i see is like sales is almost seen as like a dirty word in bodybuilding yeah it is very much um and i and actually this is actually a really interesting conversation and Neil Cramwell is a really good friend of mine, a client on the mastermind who's crushed it. We did a really good podcast with him, so you should listen to that as well. Um, I went and trained with him. So he's like four times Mr. Universe, really good friend of mine. He used to mm. be presenter of like a TV channel in the UK called The Active Channel. I used to like really look up to Neil. Um, bought a coaching program from him like 12 years ago. I don't know if he knows that. And then um, I went to train with him like 2018 or something like that. I paid him to do some coaching sessions, like PT sessions, filmed all this stuff. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing all this stuff? And I think the old guard of people in bodybuilding not saying old Neil, but um, are now starting to understand and it's starting to become more mainstream that this is the way things are going. Whereas I think there was such a huge resistance to be like people filming stuff, like talking about their prep, talking about a lot of what they're doing. And I think that transition is good in a lot of respects, but I think, mm. I think there's a lot more like open information in terms of what people actually do now. Yeah, it's definitely the information age. I think we're past that portion of you know, information being shared is important and people are even becoming more warm to like content production and, and filming when you need to film. I think where you see like the sales dirty word bodybuilding thing is like the, the ads and trying to do any of that. And it's almost seemed like if you're running ads, it's, it's like not a, it's not a valuable thing in, in the bodybuilding coaching realm. Like um, I actually still to this day don't run any ads for my coaching business, um, for my personal coaching. Um, one, I just don't need it. But two, um, there is a negative association there. And so like for me, when I look at what I'm doing, every decision I make needs to push the business forward. And while there's still a negative association within the bodybuilding realm, like that could potentially backfire at some point, you know, with the type of person that I want to work with or that I enjoy working with, right? Like, uh, like the pros that I work with and like the, the higher level amateurs, like people who aren't in your seat, who are just bodybuilders, they, they typically don't see that as a very, very good thing. So um, I think it's something that you'll see pass in the next three to five years. I think just the direction things are headed, things are becoming more automatized and um, AI is the one of the, the greatest generations of mankind. But you're seeing kind of this like, techify of everything and bodybuilding is going to follow suit and then you're also seeing promoters become better promoters by running ads and and actually doing things that would be uh driving a business model rather than just like hey throw some trunks on and some tan and show up at the show so like the more that the promoters are doing that and the more that the people in the culture are doing that the more you'll see that become more accepted and the prime example of this and that there's a show this weekend that's ran by them is texas pro is um, Sheila and Freddie here in Texas, they kill it with their shows and they like put on a production. It's not a show. It's, it's a production, but they do that because they want to provide the best experience for everyone who comes onto that stage. And you're starting to see these people gravitate towards these shows. Like people are planning their preps around Freddie and Sheila shows instead of all these other shows in Texas. And so 
as the the younger generation comes up and we see this kind of develop, you'll see that that lack of desire for ads or coaches running ads kind of start to dissipate. But I think it'll always be there with the older generation a little bit. What would you say to start to finish up would be your number one tip for anyone who's a bodybuilder who wants to build a successful online coaching business like you? Mm. Going through the journey yourself is very important. I think it's hard to empathize with people that you're coaching if you haven't done it yourself. Like I was telling Clinton this the other day, you you don't know what that feels like until you've been there. Like until you've it's been same from a business perspective though. Like and that's why I say to people is like uh, we spoke of this a lot. There's, there's really shit difficult times, and when you've been through that, it's like you can say that someone's like, yeah, I had exactly the same thing happen. This is what I did. Yeah, yeah, and so it's very valuable that that, that would be done and done well. Um, and what I would say with that is like the second piece that goes with that is hire someone who is invested in you um, and is going to teach you. And this doesn't mean that they're going to do weekly calls with you and all this other stuff. But when you do your check-in process and you check in with someone, if you have questions that you ask that are a part of that so that you understand what's going on, they answer them. Like you've seen the sheet, you don't use the sheet because it just doesn't work for you. But the bottom of my sheet has questions. Like it's got a questions box where you can put questions in. And I try to make sure that I answer every single question that's in that questions box because I know my role as a coach is not only to make them the best athlete, but to also develop them as people. And hopefully that development turns them into better coaches and leads them in the way. And uh, something you'll hear us say all the time is like, we're trying to elevate the standard of coaching in the industry through J3 University and the courses we build and stuff like that. I think that starts with my coaching as well of like how I develop the people within my business. So for someone who's in bodybuilding trying to create their own thing, if you can get plugged into a system that's like that, where you're getting high level coaching, you're getting the X and O's mapped out for you where you're learning from someone who's done it before. And if you have questions about the process, they're willing to answer it. Like that's just like uh, such a valuable thing. And, and then that'll take you a long ways. 100%. For me, I think I said this on your podcast, it's like, the shortcuts to success, not there are any shortcuts, but the quickest way to get there is coaching. Yeah, in whatever aspect that is, Anything. whether it's coaching on like business systems or coaching in bodybuilding or golf, or golf or whatever it is, right? So yeah, definitely the, the coaching aspect within that. Awesome. One thing I highly suggest everyone does is they go check out J3 University. We've had a couple of the clients from our event in Vegas have already signed up and I actually mm. spoke to them yesterday and they basically now like delegated their entire coaching fulfillment off because they're now happy their coaches understand what to do based mm. on going through some of your material. So um, I'd highly suggest checking it out. Where should people find out more about you guys? Yeah, so j3university.com is just the, the website that has everything. We've got all of our courses on there. Um, we have the level one course, which is like the, the broad course of everything you need to know to be a world-class coach. And then we start to kind of break off into more specific stuff with AHO is our applied hypertrophy where we take you in the gym and show you everything you need to know to develop a certain body part, limitations that you'll see with different clients, things like that. And then the female module is for those of you out there coaching females, like coaching females is a skill and it's a very, very valuable skill to have, but there's a lot of understanding that needs to be there. And, and so we've built this course that, like I told you, took us like 10 months to build but it's because there's so much information in there that it was the only way to do it at the quality that we wanted. So um, jtheuniversity.com. You can also follow me. It's currently at No Switch Fitness. That might be changing soon. But um, on Instagram, that's where you'll find all of my stuff and hit that link in bio for et cetera, et cetera. But 
um, yeah, that's that's everything about about what we're doing and, and me and kind of where we're headed. Awesome. Appreciate your time, Luke. If you want to listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe. Um, drop any comments below if you're watching this on YouTube. And if you want free access to our 4C content courses, help us generate over $5 billion in fitness sales, you can hit the link below and get completely free access to that. And we'll see you next episode soon.